heart so divine could lower himself to a life such as mine and consider me worth every minute of time to rescue a sinner like me. When I think of my Savior alone on the cross, I know without Him that my life would be lost if He had not been willing to suffer the cost to rescue a sinner like me. Thank you, Rachel. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. What a wonderful song. All the songs this morning have fit very well with the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at this morning in John, chapter 1, as we consider that God has come and... Uh, often when we celebrate Christmas, there's a great deal of emphasis placed upon the, the name Jesus, as there ought to be and is right to do. And as a baby, there in a manger, uh, born of a virgin, 
And uh, sometimes I think there is a neglect to put an emphasis on the deity of the one who came. Certainly, uh, Jesus was a man, but he also was fully God in human flesh. And, uh, and of course, as was just sung to us this morning, he came to rescue uh, sinners like you and me. And uh, he died for the sins of the whole world so that God would be glorified by reconciling mankind to himself. And I praise him for it. We begin a new study this morning in the book of John, uh, another part of God's word for 66 books of the Bible. We just finished our study in the book of Ephesians. And throughout the gospel of John, uh, it's penned down by John, the beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He also penned down 1st, 2nd, 3rd John as well as the book of Revelation, which we studied through over the past couple of years. And now hear the Gospel of John. And as John was writing throughout this book, 21 chapters, John repeatedly, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he emphasizes the deity of this one who came to this earth, was born of a virgin, uh, laid there in Bethlehem in that manger Uh, But he emphasizes repeatedly that Jesus is God. He is God. And, uh, you know, as we begin this new year, um, how many of you, it's uh, something you look forward to beginning a new year? How many of you enjoyed that? How many of you enjoyed that first day back to work, the office, the shop, after all of the celebrations? Some of you did, one person did, the rest of you know, you rolled over and you went, oh, here we go again. I found myself standing in the office looking at the 2019 calendar we have on the wall, and it looks really big for the whole year. And I'm going, whew, okay, how many sermons am I going to preach this year? Um, you know, and, and all these activities are going to be going on. And, and of course, uh, this is how my mind works. What is going to take place this year? And I can look at the calendar and I can say, wow, there's a lot of great things, a lot of fun things that are going to take place. But then I've lived long enough now to know that every year there are some challenges that go on in the lives of God's people. And, um, and this year, for some, it will be a year of loss. Some, for some of us, we'll say goodbye to somebody that we loved. Uh, Tina, you know, saying goodbye to your father just the other day. And uh, him going home to be with the Lord. When we started this year, that wasn't on the plans wasn't in the plans. And so throughout those times uh, this year, this coming year, the things that we might have planned, they may take place as we've planned them. They may be wonderful vacations. Um, The the Lord Jesus Christ is God. And for those others of us, we're going to go through some difficult times this life, this this year uh, in our lives, some valleys, some some sorrow, some grief, some loss. Um, Jesus the baby that we celebrate his birth, he is God in human flesh. And he came and he was born and he lived and he died and he rose again and he sits on the right hand of the Father today. He was God before he came. He was God when he was here and he will always be God. And he is a friend and he will never leave us nor forsake us. You're in the Gospel of John. I want to begin reading in verse number one. I'm going to read down through verse number 18, though we'll not... Uh, I'll not attempt to preach through all 18 of these verses this morning, but I want to read these first 18 verses. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him, that is the light, might believe. He was not that light, that is, John was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, John says of the disciples, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now, we'll get to that verse a little later on, but when he says, He hath declared him. What he's saying is that Jesus Christ, the Word, hath declared God. You see, Jesus, the Word, was God's declaration to all of mankind of himself. Jesus Christ was God's message, God's communication to mankind so that we would know who God is. Who he is, what he is like, his character, how he loves, how he is holy, how he is just, how he is righteous, how he is full of mercy, how he is full of grace and compassion. Jesus Christ was the manifestation of God in human flesh so that we would know God. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we begin our study in this book. What a wonderful book. And Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning by your Holy Spirit through your word to our hearts. And I pray that we would receive the truth of this gospel. God, give us endurance as we start into our study and pursue it throughout this year. Lord, some of us have never read this book, this book of John, 21 chapters. Others of us have big portions of this book memorized. But, Father, I pray that we would, as a result of our study, that our faith and that our confidence, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ as God, that our faith in you would grow, every single one of us in this room. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we know this account of the gospel was written by the Apostle John. Most scholars believe that he penned down these words between the dates of 85 and 90 A.D. 
So that would have been, uh, if that's true, that would have been over 50 years after the Lord Jesus Christ had died on the cross. Think about that. John was one of the younger disciples, we know. And uh, so he lived a long life. He was the only one uh, that we believe died of natural causes, still suffered greatly as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he would have been an older man at this point in his life. Uh, and the key verse, I think, for this, for this study of the book of John would be found in chapter 20. Uh, chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31, it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, talking about miracles, which are not written in this book. John says there are a lot of other things that Jesus did that I've not included in the book of John. Uh, and he tells us why. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And so the purpose for the book being given was that we would have the life that is in Christ. You remember, he is life. And I've told you before that, of course, the Bible says that when a person believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they receive everlasting life. They, they are become possessors at that very moment of everlasting life. And it can never be taken away. And so we might ask the question, when does everlasting life begin? When does life begin for a child of God? And the answer is everlasting life begins for a child of God, not when they pass away and go to heaven, but everlasting life for a child of God begins when they believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. At that very moment, we, we become possessors of everlasting life. The reality is, though, for many of us who are believers in this room, we understand this and we've experienced it. Just because we're possessors of everlasting life doesn't mean we live that life. And, and so this book, can I say all that to say this? This book is very practical for both those who are unsaved, that they might come to an understanding of who Christ is and believe upon him for salvation, but it's also very practical very practical for those of us who are saved, in order that we might live the life that God has saved us to live by believing and trusting upon the Lord Jesus Christ who lives within us to empower us to live the life he saved us to live. Now, there are different responses that we can have, and I want to give you this as a warning as we start our study this morning. You and I can respond differently to the message of the gospel in John or any of the other three accounts of the gospel. We can respond to the gospel in belief. And that's why John says, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that he's given this, so that men would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Or we can respond in unbelief. Uh, we can reject the message. And, and, you know, that's true not just for the gospel of John, but it's true for all the Bible. I, I, when the Word of God is preached and taught, when I hear it, when the Spirit of God brings it to my mind and reminds me of Scripture that I've memorized, I can respond in belief, taking God at His Word, or I can respond in unbelief, and I, I can respond in rejection. And so I give that as a warning here this morning. Maybe you've wondered, why are there four accounts of the Gospels? Or, or maybe you would say it this way, why are there four Gospels? Well, there aren't four Gospels, there's only one. But there are four accounts or perspectives of the gospel. Now, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Why not just one? Why do we have four? Is it redundant? Uh, some have asked, are they different? Uh, do, do they contradict one another? And the answer is yes, they are different. They are not all identical. But no, they do not contradict one another in any way. There are four different viewpoints of the gospel, four different accounts of the gospel, but there is only one gospel. And that is because there is only one Savior. There is only one Jesus Christ. And so each one of the four accounts of the gospel are distinct. They're different. Uh, they're distinctly different. For example, in Matthew, Matthew, remember, was a tax collector before he followed Jesus Christ. In Matthew, in the gospel according to Matthew, Jesus Christ is presented as the promised king of Israel. And the book of Matthew is written primarily to Jewish people. And so Matthew talks about things in the, the gospel of Matthew that are a little foreign to you and me because we don't know as much as we ought to know or could know about uh, the Jewish way of thinking. Um, in the book of Mark, Christ is presented as a servant. He's presented as a servant and a prophet. When we come to Luke, and you remember Luke had been a doctor, uh, Christ is presented as a sinless man. And so Matthew wants us to look at Jesus and see our king. And Mark wants us to look at Jesus and to see a servant, a suffering servant. And Luke wants us to look at Jesus and behold him as a man. And then comes John, and John's presentation of Jesus Christ is, Behold your God. He is God. He is God. Everlasting. You can trust him. He is everlasting. And so John, at this point, is a very old man at this time. He sits down and he begins to pen down about the Lord Jesus Christ, the things that the Spirit of God is bringing back to his mind, this person, Jesus Christ, that he loves so much. And so really, our study of John is what God wants us to know about God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, we're only going to look at four verses this morning, just because we're having to introduce the book. We're not going to make as much progress as we might like. But look with me, if you would, in verse number 1, and I'll read down through verse 3, and I want you to notice that Jesus here is called by a different name, one that you and I normally don't refer to him as. Look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, I want to tell you right up front, the Word is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the Word. In the very first verse, we're introduced to a person, and he's given a name, and he's called the Word. He's identified as the Word three times alone in verse 1. Uh, look again at verse number 1, and he says, he is also called the Word, I should say, in verse 14. But look at it again in verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look down to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we could ask the question, well, who is the word? And again, many in this room this morning would say, well, I already know who the word is, Seth. I've grown up in church. I sat in Sunday school. I've memorized these verses. And there are also others in this room, and you've never heard this passage preached before. You've never read this passage of Scripture before, and you might ask that question, well, who is the Word? 
Who is this person who is called the Word? And the answer is in the first 18 verses of John chapter 1, the identity of this person is revealed. In verse number 1, the latter part, look there, he says, the Word was God. Look at verse number 3, the beginning part. He says, all things were made by him. So the Word was a creator. He created all things. In verse number 4, the beginning part, it says, in him was life. Look at verse 9, the beginning part. It says, that, speaking of the Word, that was the true light. And then look at verse number 11. It says, he came unto his own, this one who is called the word. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And we're told that the word came and was rejected. The word, the message of God, the communication of God to mankind was rejected by some. When my wife, when we were dating, uh, we would write each other notes from time to time. And I don't ever recall rejecting one of her notes to me. I never rejected it. I accepted all of it. And I would read it again and again and again. And the reason for that was those notes and those letters were her communication to me. They were revealing to me what she was thinking about me. And I loved reading those. And I would read them again and again. Think about this idea that mankind rejected the word, the communication of God to them. It doesn't make much sense, does it? For those of us who know who God is, it doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense to reject the one who loves us so much, who created us, who knows us intimately who knows us in every way and yet still loves us and suffers long with with us and is merciful and gracious to us. But the word was rejected by his own people. Look at verse number 14, the beginning part. It says, and the word was made flesh. The word, the communication of God, the message of God from God to mankind was made a human being, flesh. He became a man. And in verse 17, the Bible plainly tells us who the word is. Look in verse number 15. I'll begin there and read down through verse 17. It says, John bare witness of him, that's John the Baptist, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. In verse 16 it says, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so there, we see in verse number 17, plainly, so that none of us can get it wrong, the word is identified as the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we might ask, after reading the first 18 verses of John, and seeing that it is obvious that the word is actually the Lord Jesus Christ, but we might ask ourselves the question, well, why is he called the Word? And I, and I love the Bible because it's so precise, and it is accurate, and it is trustworthy, and it is telling us about who God is and the way he thinks. But we might ask ourselves the question, why, why didn't God just call him the Lord Jesus in the first couple of verses? Why did he call him the Word? Um, and, 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 and the answer is because words are very important. We express ideas with words. 
We express our thoughts with words. We communicate by using words, either spoken or written. And even in sign language, those who are deaf and they cannot speak, uh, or mute and cannot speak, or deaf and cannot hear, they communicate in sign language, but still they, their signs refer to words, letters, words. How many of us would go home and for the whole week, starting out this new year, decide we're not going to use words in communicating with our spouse for two weeks? No words, just pointing. Try that, sir, from your dinner table. Try that. Yeah, it's not going to go well. Don't try it. Okay. Some of you already are trying, and you should stop it, okay? You're off to a bad start this year. Communicate with kind, gracious words, merciful words, loving, kind words. Do that. It would be helpful to you. So words, it's how we communicate. Some people, I think, are more perceptive than others, but even if you don't believe words are important to communication, uh, I think you know better. Words are important. And God wants to communicate to mankind. He wanted to communicate to mankind. God wanted to reveal himself to mankind, to people, to you and to me. And I suppose God could have done this in different ways. He could have spoke audibly from heaven. He could have sent an angel to deliver a message. He could have written on a wall, and he's done all of those things before. But in this case, God chose the very best way to reveal, to communicate with mankind. And the way that God chose to communicate his character and his love and his concern and his compassion and his righteousness and his justice to mankind was through sending his son, the word. He sent his word. He sent a message. He sent a communication. And Jesus Christ is God's word to us. Jesus Christ is the clear communication of God to mankind. You know, Jesus Christ made it possible for mankind to see and to know what God is really like. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1. Verse 18, it says, No man hath seen God at any time. That is, in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, no man has ever seen the fullness of God at any time. And then he says, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Uh, Take your Bibles and stay in John, but go to chapter 4 and verse 8. Chapter 4 and verse 8, and I'll read verses 8 and 9. We're talking about this idea of God communicating himself to you and to me, to mankind. And, and, And look at John chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says, For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. And then in verse 9 of John chapter 4 it says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Um, The idea, and I've read the wrong passage in my notes, so that's not, we're not off to a good start for the new year. Um, let me read you from Colossians 1, in verse 15. You can go back to chapter 1. We'll, we'll get to chapter 4 later. Colossians 1, verse 15, he says, Who is the image, talking about Jesus Christ, who is the image, which means likeness or resemblance of the invisible God. Think about that. 
Jesus on earth was the resemblance of the invisible God. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Now think about that. Uh, The express image, those words come from a Greek word, character. What does that sound like to you? Character. Well, okay, you know Greek. You're good. Character. We get our English word character from character, okay, in the Greek. Uh, And it means an exact copy. An exact copy. An exact representation. And so Hebrews and Colossians both tell us that Jesus was the express, the image of God. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God hath spoken unto us by his Son. This is why Jesus Christ is called the Word in John chapter 1. And much as our words reveal our hearts and our minds and our loves and what we value, so too did the Lord Jesus Christ reveal God's Word to our hearts and to our minds. Jesus Christ reveals God to mankind. And I want to notice three truths about the Word. And you're back in John chapter 1. And I want to notice, first of all, that the Word is eternal. The Word is eternal. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now, there are several times in verse 1 where there's a word, just three-letter word, the word was. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the word was is in the imperfect tense. Now, in English, we don't have an imperfect tense in our English language. But it's in the imperfect tense and expresses a continuous state without beginning, without end, just continually. Now, that's interesting to us because he's not just saying that Jesus Christ, the Word, was God or was with God or was in the beginning at a certain time or uh, having a certain beginning or having just in the past. Our English word was kind of denotes it was that way back then. But the, the word actually in the Greek tells us that it, has no beginning and it has no end, that Jesus Christ is eternal. The word is eternal. Now look at verse number one, the beginning part again. He says, in the beginning was the word. The statement is not referring to that Jesus had a beginning, uh, that Christ had a beginning, that the word had a beginning, but to an infinite state. In other words, that Jesus Christ already existed when the beginning happened. When God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus Christ was already there. Now, that's beyond our comprehension. Every one of us had a beginning. We had a a time of beginning. But Jesus Christ, the Word, had no beginning. In the beginning, he was already there. He was already there. He is the pre-existent one. He is eternal. Uh, Look at verse 2. He says, the same was in the beginning with God. And then look back to verse 1, the middle part. It says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, how can this be? 
how can the Word be with God and the Word be God at the same time? I mean, I can be with my friend, but I can't be my friend. Right? But here we're told that the Word, who we know is Jesus Christ, was with God, and he was also God himself. The idea here that's being taught is called the Trinity, at least part of it. Three persons in one. Three persons in one God. Only one God, but three persons in one God. God the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some have tried to illustrate the the Trinity by using an egg, right? And it's good food for thought, I suppose. But you have the shell, and you have the white, and you have the yolk. You have three parts, and you only have one egg. Okay, we, we understand that. We can grasp that part. There are different illustrations of matters that are triune. Time is triune. Past, present, and future. Matter, matter is triune. Energy, motion, phenomena. The universe is triune. Space, matter, time. The Old Testament taught a plurality, that there was only one God, but there were three in one, or there are more than Uh, One person operating within one God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. And the word God there, it comes from the, the Hebrew word Elohim, the name of God, Elohim, which is plural. The Lord our God is one Jehovah, one Lord. The very first statement of the Bible expresses the plurality within the Godhead. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God, and, and Elohim again is used there, and it's plural, God created the heavens and the earth. The Trinity is taught throughout the Bible. And if we were to express this mathematically, it would, if we were talking about three and one, or, or three added together, we would get one plus one plus one equals three, Right? If Will were here, I would ask him, Will, is that true? One plus one plus one is three? And he'd, hopefully he'd say three. Yes, that's true. So mathematically, one plus one plus one equals three. But theologically, when we're talking about the Trinity, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit equals one. One. In the beginning was the Word, and he was with God, and he was God. So God is eternal. Secondly, I notice from our passage that the Word created all things. We've just celebrated Christmas, and we celebrate the birth of our Savior, and we talk about Him, and we name Him as He is named in the Bible, as Jesus, Emmanuel, uh, God with us. But we often tend to think of Him as that little baby in a manger. And, uh, and, And sometimes I don't think, I think we neglect to understand that He is the, He, He is and always has been the creator of the ends of the earth. The Word created everything. Um, Look look with me, if you would, at verse number 3. It says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things, individually, all things in totality, When he says all things, that's what he's saying. All things individually, all things separately. A a reference to the infinite detail of creation. Everything, every little thing was made by him. And that's, there's a, in our English, our English language does not fully grasp this. 
Every little detail was made by the Word. Every little detail was made by the Lord Jesus Christ. Outer space is so immense that scientists needed to create a new unit of measurement, so they came up with light years. How many of you have ever used that form of measurement to measure something, light years? I have a tape measure at home. That's what I use for a form of measurement. Uh, Most of us use something like that, maybe a ruler or a yardstick. Well, they had to come up with light years to measure God's creation, what the Word had created, because it's so immense. A light year is the distance light travels in one year. Well, light light travels at 186,273 miles per second. I'll let you figure out how long it goes in one year. Here's a few other mind-boggling numbers. Our sun is eight light minutes away. That's not that far. Who knew it was so close? Only eight light minutes. But out in space, there are suns and stars believed to be billions of light years away. I can't grasp that. Outer space is so immense that scientists cannot even count the stars. Not even with all our technology. Some stars are beyond large. The star Antares can hold 64 million suns the size of ours. In the constellation Hercules is a star that could contain 100 million stars the size of Antares. The heavens are not only massive, but they're also precise. Now I'm talking about our creator here and what he has done. Uh, The stars and the moons, they pursue their appointed paths. In other words, they still are operating according to the will of the creator. For instance... The earth doesn't travel in a true circle. It travels in three different directions all at once. It revolves on its axis. It travels around the sun, and its path is deflected by other planets. And yet, the earth, for all of its movement, doesn't lose more than one one-hundredth of a second every 100 years. It is amazingly precise. I can't even come close to that on my 10-minute commute or my 8-mile commute to work. I couldn't get out of my garage. I couldn't get the truck out of the garage in the same, with the same precision that the earth is orbiting the sun. I mean, it's ridiculous how precise the heavens are. Well, look with me in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Would you, Psalm 19? Hold your place in John. We'll be coming back shortly. Psalm 19. Hopefully I've got this passage right. Psalm 19, verse number 1. Psalm 19, verse 1. And it looks right. All right. Psalm 19, verse 1. And I'll read down through verse number 6. And there are several passages in the Bible that talk about God's creation. And they're wonderful to read. They'd be wonderful to memorize. Verse 1 of Psalm 19 says, The heavens, talking about the planets and the galaxies and the starry sky, the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, that, this is the eternal word of God. Some of us, because of our light pollution, we don't even see the heavens very much. We would do well to find a place on a dark, clear night 
and to observe how it all moves the same way throughout the year. And it, there seems to be change, but God all ha- he has designed it all to move in a certain specific way. And it declares, it speaks to the glory of God. And then he says, and the firmament, talking about the clouds and the blue sky, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Just a little handiwork there. Nothing too big to speak of. That's the idea of handiwork, right? But we know it is glorious. Verse 2, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. That is, God knew what he was doing when he designed all of this. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Interestingly, scientists have now learned that the stars actually give off sound. The Bible knew that a long time ago, right? There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. They have a voice. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Now, you can turn back to John chapter 1, but there are so many other passages we could read that speak to the creation of God. Now, outer space is immense. God's creation is immense. God's creation is precise. We could also talk about the creation of God and how infinitely small it is. Um, An atom, something we don't talk about too often, an atom is less than 150 millionth of an inch in diameter. It's very small. It's less than an inch. If just the molecules, now follow me here, okay? I'm not going to go too far. But if just the molecules of a single drop of water, we know what that is, a single drop of water. If just the molecules contained within the single drop of water could be converted into sand, grains of sand, there would be enough sand to build a concrete highway a half a mile wide, one foot thick, from New York to San Francisco. If just the molecules and one drop of water can be converted into sand, you could pave half a mile wide. Now, I've been talking to you about inanimate things. How about living things? How about the complexities that confront us on every hand when we look at living things? They're incredible. Each cell in a living creature contains 200 billion molecules of atoms. The nucleus of a cell, which is a complex life factory, right, is less than four ten thousandths of an inch in diameter. The membrane that encloses that cell, uh, the component parts, is only one half of that or one millionth of an inch thick. And Jesus Christ made it all. And that's what he's saying here in this passage in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Was made, in verse 3, is in the perfect tense. It means it's a completed act. Completed act. There was a time where God created the heavens and the earth, and it is a one-time event, and it happened, and it was completed, and we know God said in Genesis 1, it is good. It's good. 
the word created. Psalm 33 and verse 9 says, For he spake, God created with his words, God spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. This is, we're talking about the word. He's eternal. He's the creator of all things. And so this year, as we go through this year, no matter what comes into our lives, we can know that our Savior, who lives and will rule and reign for all of eternity, is the eternal one, according to this passage. And, and he, nothing is new to him. He has seen it all. He knows it all. And, and though we, meet, we may be surprised by what we face in this year, God will not be surprised. And, and not only that, we learn from this passage that he is the creator, the word, Jesus made flesh, uh, who dwelt among us. He, the word, is, is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is all-powerful. And, and there are going to be things this year that, that I face and that you face that are beyond our abilities, beyond our power. But our Savior, who we know the Bible teaches us, lives within us by his Spirit to sustain us and to teach us. And there are going to be times we don't know what to do. He knows. He created the heavens and the earth by his words according to his knowledge, the Bible says. Scientists are scrambling and they, they're always coming across new information, new to them, but not new to God. You see, in evolution, the theory of evolution has influenced our thinking as believers. And we would say, well, I don't believe in evolution. I believe in the creator and in, in, in uh, intelligent design that Jesus Christ, that God created the heavens and the earth. But I think we stopped short of recognizing that when he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, he didn't just speak something into existence that he didn't know what he was doing. He spoke and he precisely created every little thing. Every little thing. It was made. It was made. Look again at verse number, verse number three. It says, without him was not anything made that was made. Um, and the emphasis in the Greek would be, without him, nothing at all would have been made. And you see it in the English language, it's there. Without him was, without anything made, was not anything made that was made. And it's almost redundant, it seems. But what they're trying to do in the English language is grab a hold of what the Greek is saying. Without him, nothing is made. Not one little thing. Not one atom. Not one molecule. Nothing. And this is our God. Look at verse number 14 and we'll conclude with this. The word became flesh and lived on earth. Not only is he eternal, not only is he the creator of everything, but the word became flesh and he lived on earth. Now we're going to come back and look at these other verses, but look at verse 14. He says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Look again at verse 14, the beginning part. He says, the word was made flesh. Now, the birth of Jesus was unique. When, when, when my children were born, uh, it was the creation of a new personality, each one of them. When we were born, there was a creation of a new personality. You'd never existed before, and all of a sudden, whammo, a new personality. And some of us were like, yeah, my child really has a personality. Okay, 
Well, okay, so that, we understand that, but when Jesus was born, it was not a creation of a new personality. It was not something new at all. When Jesus was born, uh, it, it was God coming into the world as a person. It was a person, in, it, it was someone, a personality who now was in human flesh, who had existed, that is that personality, God had existed for all. For all of eternity. He had never had a beginning. And John goes to great lengths to emphasize that Jesus Christ is the eternal God. He is the eternal creator. He is God. But he also came to this earth as a man. And John and the other disciples had each experienced personal things with Jesus that had led them to conclude that Jesus was without a doubt both God and man. He wasn't more man than more God. He wasn't more God than more man. He was equally God and man. And that's a little beyond us in our understanding as well. In 1 John chapter 1, and verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, that's talking about God, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, John says this, because he had seen him, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, I've touched him, John could say, of the word of life, for the life was manifested. It was made obvious, and we have seen it, John wrote, and we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. John's saying, I'm telling you about somebody that I have looked at, and I have heard him teach, and I have touched him, and I have, I have, I have, I have learned from him, and he is God, and he is a human being. He's God in human flesh. How is the word made flesh? And we've celebrated this throughout the month of December, but Isaiah 7 and verse 14, the prophet Isaiah prophesied, and he said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know from the New Testament is interpreted, God with us. And that's what he's getting at here in verse number 14. The middle part says that the word dwelt among us. And that word dwelt has the idea of to tabernacle or to tent or to camp. You're in close proximity when you're camping, when you tent with one and you live with one another. God lived upon the earth. He had created with the people he had created. God. Christ took upon himself sinless human nature. He identified with us in every aspect of life. From birth to death. And even though John's message throughout the book of John is that Jesus is God, he makes it clear that the Son of God came in sinless flesh and was subject to sinless human weaknesses. In chapter 2 and verse 3, he tells us that Jesus had a mother. He goes to great emphasis to tell us that Jesus was living, God was living here in human flesh. Jesus had a mom. In chapter 4 and verse 6, John tells us that Jesus was weary. He was tired. God doesn't get weary. Human beings do. In in verse 7 of chapter 4, he tells us that Jesus was thirsty. And in chapter 11 and verse 33, he tells us that Jesus groaned within. In verse 35 of chapter 11, John's going to tell us that Jesus wept. He wept. He thirsted. He hung on the cross in chapter 19. He groaned. He died in chapter 19. And he bled. And then look at verse 14, the latter part. It says, And we, John writes, beheld his glory. 
The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. The only one of his kind. Full of grace and truth. Now that statement, full of grace and truth, is a Hebraism. Now it's written in Greek, but that's a Hebrew way of thinking. And the, and the thought there, full of grace and truth, it has, the, it has the idea of the sum total of divine revelation. Jesus Christ was the very image of God. To look at Jesus and to hear him was to hear the Father. To look at Jesus and, and learn how he thought was to learn how God thinks. To see him weep was to know how God might weep. To see his compassion would, to know, would be to know God's compassion. You see, Jesus revealed God's glory in himself. His works, his words. There are seven wonderful miracles we're going to study as we go through our study in the book of John. And they reveal and they declare the glory of God. Chapter 2 in verse 11 says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. When they saw what he could do, they began to realize who he was. The fullness of Christ's grace and truth is still available today. For all who will believe upon this Jesus, who is the Christ, who is God. And and John says in verse 16, And of his fullness have all we, the disciples, received, and grace for grace. This week, you and I, or this this year, you and I are going to need more of the grace of God as we go through this, this year. We're going to need more of his grace. We're going to need grace to have understanding in situations. And we're going to need grace to have knowledge. We're going to need grace to, 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 to have courage. We're going, to, we're going to need grace as we uh, work with one another and, and love one another. We're going to need the grace of God upon our lives as men and women, as young people. We're going to need more of the grace of God. And James tells us that God gives more grace to the humble. And he resists the proud. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, come to earth so that we could have more of his grace, that we could have grace at all. John 20 and verse 31, as we conclude, says, These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And so as I conclude this morning, I ask you, what have you done with the word? And there is a miraculous oneness between the living word, which is Christ, God in the flesh, and the written word. But what have you done with the word of God? Are you willing to receive it? Are you willing to follow it? God wants to give us life. He wants us to live the life that he has saved us to live. But it's all dependent on if we will believe upon him and trust him and have confidence in him. Or I suppose we can go through this life this year just trusting in ourselves. And that's pretty miserable. 1 John 5.12 says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And believers, maybe you have received the word, and you're a joint heir with Christ of everlasting life, and let me ask you, is your life characterized by receiving the word? Is your life characterized by receiving the word of God? 
Is your life characterized by receiving his direction because the word lives within you by his spirit? Are you and I characterized by following his direction and his leading in our lives? Because we can, and we've looked at the doctrine. This is doctrinally rich. He's eternal. He's the creator. Uh, he, 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 is, he has come and tabernacled with man. And of course we know he came to die in a cross. And John's going to tell us about, we're going to learn about more about who God is as we examine and study the life of Jesus Christ in the book of John. And that's what John, but he, all for the purpose that we would, our faith and confidence in him would grow. That's what he wants. Not so that we can just have more head knowledge, but so every day we can go off to the workplace and we can deal with problems and challenges with a greater confidence, not in ourselves, but in who lives within us. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so for those of us who are believers who say that we're learners of him, are we continuing in his word so that we could be called by him learners of him indeed? I want you to take your hymnals and I want you to turn to hymn number 650. Hymn number 650. And I want us to stand and I want us to sing this hymn together. And maybe this morning where you're at, you've never put your confidence, you've never asked God to save you from your sin. And I would encourage you this morning, call out to him. Believe upon him. Let's all stand to our feet. Hymn number 650, you're welcome to come if you'd like to maybe pray and give some things over to the Lord. And uh, maybe, you've been, maybe you've been shouldering a lot. And this morning you were, you were reminded, you know, my God, my Jesus, my, my Savior, he is God. He's eternal. He's the creator. I don't have to worry about these things because he has it all well in hand. And he is with us by his spirit now living within us. We're not alone. And maybe you just need to give some things to the Lord. Whatever the case, let's sing as in the Lord. Let's sing it out, shall we?